actually happy being miserable. Ah. Hmm. You have noise in your head. Yeah, sometimes the left side of my brain has a tendency to overestimate its importance. Why do you get control of our central nervous system, you idiot? Wow! We've been stuck in this, this weird platonic phase for six months now. Are we friends or more than friends? What do I say in the text? Anything. Except I love you, you're my soulmate, I've never met anyone like you, crap. Do not think about Helen. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode 212. Releasing this Thursday, 16th of May, is, May, is Me and My Left Brain, a wonderfully inventive comedy that deals with an unemployed actor in his mid-40s who questions his life decisions after his career and personal life goes belly up. Shot in Sydney, influenced by the likes of Woody Allen and Billy Wilder, and featuring fantastic performances from its cast, Me and My Left Brain is a must-see for those who like their comedies with wit, intelligence, and heart. Joining me now to talk about Me and My Left Brain is the film's writer, director, and star, Alex Lykos. Alex, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. I find your um, trajectory into cinema very interesting. So you come from a vast experience from theatre background. First movie you came on as a writer-producer with Alex and Eve. Now you're going to, to, to be director, writer, and producer. It's just such an interesting kind of way to go into there. Um, g- becoming a director this time out, um, having your, um, your fingerprints all over this material, um, why the decision to go all in? Um, and did working on Alex and Eve um, really give you uh, a taste for the cinema experience and want to delve deeper into that? Um, yeah, look, um, Alex and Eve was a very interesting experience. It was a very um, frustrating experience in many ways, um, a difficult experience in many ways. It wasn't personally um, a pleasant experience, the making of it. Um, so I'd been doing theatre for about 12 years where I you know, pretty much controlled every element um, of the theatre show, putting it on the stage, and then especially Alex and Eve, which had three incarnations um, over a 10-year period, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're handing the film over, decisions are being, and, and, and rightly so, creative decisions are being made for the film adaptation, perhaps some you agree with, some you don't, that's part of the collaborative process. Um I, I then saw what, what what filmmaking entailed, what it encompassed, and one of the things, one of the take takeaways I took from that film was because I was used to theatre where the turnaround time was so quick. You know, I could write a show, a play in about six months, and within three or four months of finishing the play, you know, it was on the stage. Film was much slower, so. I wanted to, to, to make a low-budget movie in the hope that it, the turnaround time would be much quicker and, of course, having some more autonomy in terms of what the finished film would be. And, obviously, with this film, I wrote it specifically with that in mind. Um, and, strangely enough, the restrictions were, in a paradoxical way, quite liberating. The rest- restrictions of budget... Um, were actually quite liberating because it forced you to kind of be more lateral in your um, telling of the story. Um, Alex and Eve is a terrific movie. It's one of my favourite films of that year. What I really find interesting, um, uh, Alex, is that 
myself, my surname is Pekovic, your surname is Lycos. There's many people um, in both of our professions that come from backgrounds of European ethnicity. And it seems to me that in Australian cinema, exactly, and I'm not sure if theatre is the same, um, that people who come from a different background seem to be um, segmented, whether they do it themselves or not. And so the idea is that if you come from an ethnic background, you have to do an ethnic film or a That's comedy. A great, which is, uh, that, is, that is such a great um, observation, um, I believe, because specifically with this film, um, obviously Alex and Eve, you know, dealt with, explored, I guess, what we now know, as you said, ethnic comedy, ethnic archetypes, you know, based on our kind of lives growing up, and that's what Alex and Eve kind of encompassed. And with this one, I specifically wanted, I was specific about wanting to tell a comedy that did not rely on the quote-unquote ethnic comedy, didn't rely on ethnic archetypes. You know, my character happens to be Greek-Australian, but there's no mention of his ethnicity in any way to extract comedy or none of the conflict in the film, um, you know, was the result of his ethnic background. Yeah. It just happens to be, he happens to be Greek-Australian, you know. Um, uh, one of the characters happens to be Croatian-Australian, but there's no mention of her being Croatian-Australian. She just happens to be that way. Yeah. And and so that was the that was the, the challenge, you know, and something I really, really enjoyed, and that was, hey, here's a comedy made by quote-unquote ethnics, but nothing to do with exploring and take, poking fun at our ethnicity. Yeah, and I think that's a very important thing as well because I always encourage filmmakers, no matter what background they are, if they want to make a film in regards to tribute of their ethnic background, go ahead and do so, but don't make every film about that. Because you get, I'd imagine you uh, yourself, um, Alex, you don't want to get stuck in a rut being known as a guy who just makes one type of material film. And, and I think we've seen that before with other people, not to mention names. But what I really liked about this film is that it's more, of course, it's me and my left brain, so it's more about the internal than it is about anything else. And the character of Arthur that you made, he's a man that's filled with many self-doubts, and I think that's very natural for artistic people to have that. Um, his self-doubts, though, are very specific, so I have to ask, how much of Arthur's self-doubts, self-doubts correlates with your own? I mean, is this a very kind of a, a biographical film on your part? Um, look, there are elements of the character that, that I certainly... Um that I've certainly kind of extrapolated from my life. Um, there are other elements that aren't, you know, that are pure, you know, um, fiction in terms of the creation of the character and the story. But certainly um, the the question of the the, the, the the career path I've chosen, being a, a taking a, up a life in the arts, you know, I mean, I grapple with that you know, so many times because it's such a grind. It is so hard. It is, you know, I've been working on this film without any fees, any payments, you know, for almost two years. You know, it's hard. You know, I love it. I bloody wish I fell in love with property development and I wish I fell in love with investment banking. Um, instead, I fell in love with the arts. So there's absolutely, though, you know, what happens is you see your friends who, who you grew up with or you went to university with, etc., who, you know, have got these more, I guess, structured jobs, structured careers, and, and after a couple of years they get the promotion and they go from, you know, um, 
just working in the business or the firm to to middle management to then you know whatever the case may be and you can see that that natural progression that time in that that firm or that occupation um provides whereas in the arts it's so arbitrary you know um you know you might get a big hit tomorrow or in all likelihood it doesn't really matter what you do you it's a struggle for your next project yep. there's no incremental um progress the results of putting time in so that that plays on you you know because you don't know where your where your um you know next paycheck is going to come from so it definitely um there's a lot of autobiographical um moments um in the film as i grapple with the career choice that I've made, uh, you know, with a life in the arts. I mean, I love it. I, uh, you know, somebody the other day said to me, oh, you know, he's an actor friend of mine struggling. He said, look, I'm thinking of quitting, you know. And I said, well, look, I don't know if I can do that because if I were to quit tomorrow in my spare time, what would I do? Nothing else I'd rather, excuse me, nothing else I'd rather do than write. Yep. So, so by definition, I actually can't quit because it's what I do in my spare time irrespective of anything else. Yep. If that makes sense. It does. I thought he can't quit. Yeah, I mean, you have a really great line in um, Arthur has in the film where he says he's happy being miserable. Um, And it it comes down to the thing where, much like yourself, for the last 12, 13 years, I've been writing as a critic and entertainment journalist, etc., and freelance and doing it on my own and such. You don't... It's not a nine-to-five thing. and, and, And I think we know that, but it's a thing of it's what satisfies us, um... However, that being said, it's not the most logical kind of step forward, is it? I think that's what it comes down to this movie, I think. I think it's always you, the left brain that you're personified in, that's personified in your movie. That's logic saying to the rest of you, look, this is a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> but you just can't help but say, I don't care. I've got to take that step forward and do what I need to do. Yeah, and it's, I mean, even even within the, the context of this conversation right now, you know, I, I mean, you know, the left side of my brain has already said, you know, bloody, I wish I fell in love with property real estate, but, <laughs> but I know that that's not something that's for me. I know that for me, you know, telling stories is my greatest love, you know, but then the, the pragmatic side says, you idiot, you could have bought that golf set had you bloody, you know, had another career. Let's Unfortunately, talk- so... Let's talk about um, the left side of the brain as personified um, in this movie. Um, you cast Malcolm Kennard in that role. Now, a lot of people, when they see Malcolm Kennard, they remember Ivan Milat. They remember kind of like characters, very much intimidating, uh, ferocious characters. But in here, he gives a really great comedic performance. Did you know Malcolm beforehand? Um, no, uh, no, no, no. Um... Yeah, thank you for that. Um, uh, it's really lovely because, because again, going back to Alex and Eve, going back to you know the idea of autonomy, um, I had an idea in my head because um, I know the story well, you know, and um, being the writer of it, and I had an idea in my head of who I wanted the left brain to be. A, I wanted, I wanted it to be somebody who has more status than me, mm-hmm. who probably is going to be subconsciously frustrated um, to be taking dir- direction from a new director, and hopefully that frustra- that subconscious frustration would, would manifest itself on screen. And I just thought, rather than trying to play someone, get, get somebody who is funny, getting somebody who is... Because the comedy doesn't come from someone trying to be funny. The comedy comes from someone 
being frustrated or, or, or the left side of the brain being frustrated with with um, what the other side of the brain is doing with the life. That's where the comedy comes. So it needs to be played straight and serious um, in many ways. And I set up a, you know, I thought, well, who better to do that than Ivan Milat, you know, playing against type. Mm. And we set up a half-hour conversation, um, half-hour coffee with the agent um, to, for me to meet Mal. And so it was only supposed to be half an hour. Well, three hours later, we were finishing each other's sentences. We were agreeing on most things, arguing, agreeing, arguing, agreeing. We couldn't leave each other, and the chemistry was instant. Um, we just, you can't really, you can't really find that in an audition. It just happens, you know. I mean, I met with other actors and we spoke for half an hour and, and it was formal and, and cordial and polite and, and et cetera and, and whatnot. Whereas with Mal, just something happened, you know. He got me, I got him and, you know, we were these kind of, you know, instant kindred spirits. Um, and it was, it was pretty clear, pretty easy then. I, I didn't even audition him. Um, I just said, mate, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're it. This is it. This is the chemistry that you can't really rehearse. And that was it. Speaking of chemistry, you also have great chemistry with Rachel Beck. A lot of people remember her from Hey Dad, Home and Away, a bunch of other Aussie TV shows as well. Um, like, similar question to Malcolm. Did you know of Rachel beforehand? Um, did, did you, was this a thing where you had to audition her as well, I imagine? No, Rachel was another one. I did not audition Rachel either. Um, she had come to see... Um, a friend of hers was in a play of mine several years ago. She had come to see it, um, and we chatted briefly after the play. She thought she enjoyed... She, she said she enjoyed the play, um, and... Um, her, she, she had this kind of natural spunk about her, but you know, mm. I never thought anything of it. And then when I finished the script and I was looking for people to play um, the next-door neighbour, she popped up in my head. And because um, she just had a natural, organic energy. And I just kind of um, reached out to her. She read the script. She liked it. And I said, look, I love your energy. I love the spunk that you will bring to this character. And she grace, graciously accepted. And then she said, look, it, you know, it's important we build a, a bond. And we just started meeting for coffees and just kind of working through the script, talking loosely, um, walking around Surrey Hills, etc. And, you know, she's the one that really did a good job of building the bond between us. And she just, I mean, with Rachel, she's just lovely. I mean, she, you know, she's just lovely off screen. She's warm, she's endearing, she's just lovely off screen. So it was just so easy to build a bond with her. Locations are a big part of this movie. Um, this is a Sydney story. Um, there are a lot of parts of Sydney uh, that, that are shown in the film. There's a one um, part that uh, evokes Woody Allen, um, where you and your uh, you and another actor at um, Iron Cove Bridge, just looking over that. How important is, uh, in regards to pre-production, finding the places where you want to shoot um, because a lot of time, where a film is set says a lot about what the film is itself. Yeah, look, um, I, obviously, you know, watching a lot of Aussie movies, one of the things that we probably tend to do, and Alex and I believe may have fell a little bit into that trap, maybe not. Um, I think we did it pretty artfully in Alex and I, but it's always, you know, we're going to make a movie, let's show the Harbour Bridge and let's show the Opera House. Hmm. You know the two, um, you know, quintessential landmarks in in Australia, 
particularly Sydney. Um, and I live in the inner west, and I, 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 I just felt like there are pockets of the inner west that are quite romantic, um, and I wanted to be, try, I tried to be as original as I could by finding these, these lovely little pockets um, of Sydney that perhaps don't get the, the mainstream attention that they, they should get. Um, and obviously the inner west is growing quite beautifully um, over the last few years. So, you know, I was specific in, in wanting to find um, little pockets that perhaps weren't exposed on screen before. So, you know, we could see... see a different side of Sydney, um, uh, you know, on the screen. And one of the things I tried to do, you know, it, this film was a bit of an exploration between friendship love versus romantic love. And in, in the one plot line with the girl that, that, that Arthur is in love with, I wanted to make those settings as romantic as possible. Um, one of the biggest things that comes up in conversation when I talk to independent filmmakers, whether here in Australia or overseas, is distribution. It's one thing to get your film made, it's another film, thing to get your film out there and for people to see. Um, and we're living in very interesting times right now. You have cinema, streaming, video on demand, etc., etc. Um, you are taking care of the distribution yourself. You've actually created your own distribution company. Um, talk to, to me about the idea of doing that. I mean, does that come from early indications that maybe have been an independent filmmaker that it's hard it's going to be quite hard for someone to pick up the film and to do it yourself did you always want to get into distribution yourself uh, explain explain to me how the process worked with that look without going into too much detail <laughs> about alex and eve we had some significant um um distribution was a bit of a um, a sore point um when we made Alex and Eve, I did not understand what the word distribution meant. Right. I did not know at all. We were so naive as filmmakers when we made Alex and Eve. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. Um, little did I know that you know that the cinema owners and the distributors are the ones who who make the money in the in the film, um, especially on the back end. So we have been, as I said, we've been doing theatre for about twelve years. We've got a small but loyal fan base that will come to our work no matter what what it is. And this being a more intimate little film, um, I thought the best chance it has is for a small platform release. And I know my audience intimately. I know where they live. You know, I know how to reach out to them. We've got our databases, etc. And we thought that would be the best approach. And if the film is no good, well, the film is no good, right? We can't help that. But if the film is good and it, and it hits a nerve with people and we're on platform release, then hopefully you know, we can get some word of mouth spread and then we can perhaps add screens down the road. But at least we know what our marketing budget is going to be, we know where the money's going, and at least we're getting some of that money back for our audience who will be our initial audience who will go and see this film. Whereas if we were to hand it over to a distributor, um, obviously that initial surge of ticket sales would not go to us, it would go to the um, distributor first. So we thought, you know what, for this film, let's reach out to our audience, let's play it on a few cinemas that we know they live nearby, and let's see if the film can perhaps generate some word of mouth. And if it does, you know, great, we can then add some cinemas. And, and, and now once we understood it, the process of distributing, especially for a small film that doesn't need to be on 300 screens across the country, 
um, hasn't been too bad. You know, for example, on Thursday, our, our premier day, uh, we opened in cinemas on the 16th of May. I had this idea of a of a morning premiere and a night premiere, and you know. It's an offbeat idea, but we were able to enact it because we were the ones distributing the movie. So we've got a morning premiere at Beverly Hills Cinemas for the seniors, which are putting a morning tea on for them. And then we've got a night premiere at Randwick Ritz, which is, you know, lovely. Um, so for everyone listening out there, Me and My Left Brain releases Thursday, 16th of May. Um, Alex, what's the best way for people to find screening times for, uh, if there's a cinema near them? I understand that event cinemas are doing a bunch of screenings for you as well. Yeah, I've got to tell you, they've really gotten behind this. We're playing um, three times a day um, at GU Filmhouse Cronulla, which is event cinemas, um, GU Filmhouse Beverly Hills, which is event cinemas. We're playing at United Collaroy three times a day, I think it is, and Randwick three times a day. Um, it's, our website is meandmyleftbrain.com. It, all the information is there. I'll repeat that again for you. Meandmyleftbrain.com. Uh, sorry, meandmyleftbrainmovie.com. Okay. My apologies. Meandmyleftbrainmovie.com. So for everyone listening, meandmyleftbrainmovie.com. Movie comes out tomorrow, Thursday, 16th of May. Get out there. Get in the cinemas, people. Um, um, support independent film. Support Australian independent film. I can recommend this film highly. Alex, you've done great work here. I've loved your work so far. You've done Alex Neve in this film as well. Um, and I look forward to seeing what you're doing next. Hopefully... You're going to be staying within the film sphere. Are we going to expect more um, in regards to films being released under your distribution banner? Um, look, for, for the um, lower, uh, for the more independent movies, absolutely. If we go away and do, you know, a big $10 million movie, definitely we would look to bring, you know, a, um, a distributor who's going to handle a $10 million movie. Um, but, you know, I... I, I I just went for a tech run now um, at Randwick Ritz to um, make sure the film, you know, sounds good and looks good, etc. And, you know, I'm, I have to say I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. Yeah, if I, if I may quickly mention the soundtrack, you know, I wanted an all-jazz soundtrack and we got that. You know, Cesare Skibuski, who's an award-winning composer, um, put together this beautiful soundtrack, all-jazz. So to all the jazz lovers out there, please get out there and watch it. It's a great movie, Alex. You did a great job here, and congratulations to you and your cast and crew, and for everyone out there. Be sure to check it out. May 16th, me and my left brain. Alex, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast.